Well, friends, as we spend a moment now looking at the Bible, uh, you might like to take out the sermon outline. There are lots of little blanks there, and the full word will appear, the full sentence will appear on the screen behind me, and you can write that in along the way if you'd like to have a bit of a keepsake with you and just keep an eye on how things are going as we progress through our time together. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we come to your word, uh, that you will be pleased to help us understand why it is that Good Friday is good and that we would understand how the injustice is the most amazing thing that has ever happened. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been busted for something that you didn't do, whether you've ever got in trouble when it wasn't your fault. It's not good, is it? It's bad enough getting punished when you deserve it, but when you're sent to your room, or you get a fine, or you lose your licence, or you get sent off the field, it's really frustrating, and it can really hurt. Most of the time, Mandy and I seem to act fairly justly when we were disciplining our kids, uh, although Hugo does like to tell a story about how he got in trouble for deliberately breaking something, only later on to being found to be innocent. Uh, justice came to light and a, a cuddle and a cookie sorted it all out. <laughs> and a great sermon illustration was born. But what if the false punishment was far more severe than that? What if the injustice brought death? We haven't executed anyone in Australia since Ronald Ryan was hanged over 50 years ago. Now, I can see an argument for capital punishment in rare and extreme circumstances, although I'm not personally fond of the idea. But probably the thing that I like least about it is the potential for false convictions. You can release someone from prison if they're found to be falsely convicted, but it's too late to bring justice to them if they've already been executed. And that's what's happened on many occasions in the United States. Over the past 50 years, more than 190 people who were sentenced to death were later declared innocent. Can you believe it? 190 people were executed for a crime that they didn't commit. It's awful. Imagine facing death knowing that you were innocent. Yeah, mate, everyone says that. No, but I really, really am. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And imagine being the executioner, finding out later that you killed an innocent person. It sickens our stomachs. We're hardwired to hate injustice. And that's because justice is just one of the core values of a normal, healthy human and a normal, healthy society. We love justice and we hate injustice. And as we gather here on Good Friday, we're going to hear about a man who was executed for crimes that he didn't commit. And that man, of course, is Jesus Christ. He was innocent and yet he was punished. It's one of the most tragic moments of injustice and it should stick in our stomachs. Well, to examine his life and death, we're going to go back to an Old Testament document written about 700 years before he's, he was born, and that is the book of Isaiah. Uh, in the second half of this 66-chapter book, 
there are four so-called servant songs. And they describe someone called the servant of the Lord. Uh, they were written centuries before Jesus. But these Isaiah servant songs are about him. They're about Jesus. And Jesus knew they were all about him. And so at the end of the Last Supper, Jesus said, Luke 22, For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. That's from Isaiah 53, verse 12, which is our passage today. Now, other gospel writers also made the connection. In Matthew 8, it said, That evening many demon-possessed peoples were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, it's our passage today, who said, He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Isaiah 53, verse 4. And John's gospel says... Despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? And then a final quote in Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And then he asked Philip in chapter 8, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture from Isaiah 53, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. See, Jesus and the New Testament authors all saw that the servant songs of Isaiah, and particularly chapters 52 and 53, were talking about Jesus. Because the servant in Isaiah is Jesus. And that's why the servant songs are so important to us as followers of Jesus. So we're going to have a really quick look at Isaiah chapter 53 from verse 13, sorry, 52, 13 to 53 verse 12, which, uh, which Hugo read to us a little bit earlier on. And we're going to see what it describes was happening in the life and in the death of Jesus. And not just what happened physically, but also what happened spiritually. It begins with a bit of a spoiler. 52 verse 13, it says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. What we see from this opening is that the tragedy is going to end in triumph. He's going to prosper. He's going to be highly exalted. No matter what happens away, along the way, this drama will end up with a happy ending. But as the song begins, we see a horrific description of the servant. Verse 14. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. So even though his story is going to end in glory, the journey to that exaltation will come with such physical harm that he was almost unrecognisable as a human. Can you imagine that? What kind of violence must he have endured? Well, that harm will bring a glorious result. 15a, and he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. His abuse will lead to amazement. 
And it won't just be amazement by anyone, it'll be amazement by kings. The nations those kings ruled will be startled and those great rulers of the world will stand speechless in his presence. But what's going to shock them? Well, verse 15b, for they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. See, when it came to Jesus, these rulers got everything wrong. And the time will come when the real truth will be truly revealed. And all their judgments about Jesus will be shown to be false and flawed. I wonder if you've ever mistaken someone's identity before. Maybe you were in the presence of someone really famous, but they just blended in with the crowd. And it wasn't until much later on that you, re you realised you were in the company of someone who was very famous. Uh, there's a great video of a time that the rock group U2 were busking in a New York subway in disguise. People just thought there were some old has-beens trying to be cool. And then a few fans just realised their true identity. And then everything changed. Everybody wanted to suddenly listen to these famous musicians and get their autographs and everything else. These people that before they walked past and just went, huh. So many people have misjudged Jesus. They think he's just someone from history who lived and then died. And they can't see what all the fuss is about. But soon they will understand the things about Jesus, the things that are as they really are. And I wonder if one of those people might actually be you. Will you uncover the true identity of Jesus? But will it be too late? Don't wait till you die to act like Jesus is king. Because if you do, you'll only know his punishment and not his mercy, his wonderful mercy. Well, returning to the Bible, things now slow down a little bit and we see his life in a bit more detail. And chapter 53, verse 1 begins with this question. It says, Who has believed our message to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Well, the great kings of the earth have not seen the truth, but who has? Well, we're not told, but maybe it's us. Maybe it's us. We who are hearing God's word here right today, we are the ones to whom the message is being revealed. That's you and that's me. We are the ones who know the truth about the servant of the Lord. We know the truth about the servant of the Lord. And here's what we're told. Verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. This Lord's servant, who we know to be Jesus, was born with humble beginnings, very, very humble. He didn't stand out as being special. Some did accept him as the true ruler of the world, but most didn't. And this is how it looked in the hours leading up to his death. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. 
He was despised and we did not care. We pushed him aside, had nothing to do with him. We rejected him. There he was in his moment of deepest sorrow and grief and we just walked around on the other side of the road. We had nothing to do with him. We pretended he wasn't there. We rejected him. But it was the biggest mistake in history. Because the person who seemed the least valuable was actually the most. For he came on a special mission for us. Verse 4a. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. The Lord's servant was on a special mission for us. He carried our weaknesses. He was weighed down with our sorrows. Not his, but ours. He was taking our sin, not his. Verse 4b, And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. No. He wasn't getting punished for our sins. So he wasn't getting punished for his own sins. He was getting punished for our sins. Jesus was punished for our sins, not his. This is the great injustice of the crucifixion. He took your sins, not his. He took my sins, not his. It was completely unjust. But what was his punishment like? Verse 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Pierced, crushed, beaten, whipped. It wasn't a simple lethal injection. It wasn't a quick snap of the neck. It was a slow and painful torture and execution. He was at the hands of the Romans and what they were best at, of all things, was making someone die with the greatest shame and the greatest pain known to man. Pierced, crushed, beaten, whipped. For you. But why? Verse 6a. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. We needed him to be punished for us because we strayed away from him. We should have been follow him, following him on the paths that he made for us, but we deserted those paths. And so we deserve punishment. We rejected him. We despised him. We treated like he was dead to us. It wasn't just passive ignorance. It was active rebellion. And so we deserved punishment. But instead, yet... The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yet, 
The Lord laid the sins on all. We deserved punishment, but Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins. We rebelled, but he was punished. And he endured it without even saying a word. Verse 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Not a word. He didn't try to stop the injustice. He just copped it. Copped it without saying a word. Was it fair? Was it just? No. Heyday. Unjustly condemned, the Bible says. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He was unjustly condemned and we didn't care. People didn't care that his name was going to be wiped off the face of the earth. No descendants to his name. They acted like he was a nobody who would forever remain a nobody. But even though we wanted him dead, he did it for us. 8b. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone Friends, this was the most innocent man who had ever lived. In fact, he was the only man who lived who never sinned ever. And that is very, very important. Because if he had sinned just once, then the punishment he received from his heavenly father would have been for himself. But because he was sinless, it meant the punishment he received could be for others. But then after his death, verse 9b, we read that he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. He was buried because he really died. And as prophesied here, Jesus' body was given to a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea, who buried Jesus in the grave that was prepared for him. It was just like it was prophesied, all according to God's plan. Verse 10 but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. The disaster was all designed. The punishment was all planned. The crushing of the servant happened according to God's perfect will. It wasn't plan B. God never says, oops. It was always the main game. God always planned for Jesus to die. Even before the world was created, God had planned for Jesus to become human and suffer for us. That is how much he loves us. That is how much he loves you. But why? 10b. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. His life was an offering. Just like the sacrifice of an animal in the Old Testament temple, Jesus died as a sacrifice on the cross. And as our sacrifice, he took God's anger upon himself as a great exchange. His sinlessness was exchanged for our sinfulness. His righteousness was exchanged for our unrighteousness. It was the great exchange, his life, for ours. That's why he had to die. 
He didn't live and die to, to give us a good example so we could work out how to get better at working harder to try and impress God. That's rubbish. He died to actually deal with the deepest problem, the deepest problem being our sin. But his death wasn't the end. He would have many descendants, verse 10c. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. How is that possible? How can he live a long life when he died young? Well, it's because he didn't stay dead, did he? Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Up from the grave, he rose again. He rose from the dead, defeated death. And as we're going to remember this coming Sunday, his grave was open and he was alive. And here's what it achieved, verse 11. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for he will bear uh, to be for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins it doesn't get much clearer than that does it jesus the servant of the lord bore our sins he made it possible for us to be counted righteous in god's sight he took the punishment that we deserved and then in this final verse we're looking at today, we see just how it is that Jesus' death on the cross will be celebrated, in fact, like a victorious soldier. Verse 12, I will give him the honours of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. His awful death will be celebrated like one of the greatest battles in history. In fact, it was the greatest battle of all and the greatest victory of all time. This was the greatest victory of all time. For on the cross, Jesus defeated death as he bore our sins. But whilst it was the greatest victory of all, it was also the greatest injustice. He was punished even though he was innocent. And yet that injustice saved my life. That injustice saved me from God's anger. And through that justice, I now know God as my loving Father. But what about you? Are you here today looking at this extraordinary event from the kind of from the sidelines as a bit of a spectator? Are you standing at a distance looking at the disfigured Christ? Or is that moment of great injustice the moment that gave you the gift of life? I want to pray a prayer today that's for people who follow Jesus as their king. It's a prayer for those who trust in him as king and have had their sins forgiven by his death. If you are already a follower of Jesus, this is a prayer that you can pray with gusto. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and today you think you'd like to become one, it's a great prayer for you to pray with us. Here's the prayer. It's written down on the back of your white piece of paper that has the sermon notes. Can you see it there? 
Let me read it to us all first. It says, I'll read it out loud first. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry I rejected you. Thank you for dying in my place. Help me to trust you forever. Amen. It's a great response to what we've just heard if you're a follower of Jesus and you have been for a while. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you want to walk out of this church today knowing you are saved, knowing that your sins are no longer on your shoulder but have been transferred across to Jesus, if you want that to be the case for you today, if you want Good Friday 2023 to be the day when you can say, Jesus saved me, then will you pray this prayer along with the rest of us? And if you're not there just yet, just listen. And just listen to those who see Jesus that way. Have you got the words in front of you? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry I rejected you. Thank you for dying in my place. Help me to trust you forever. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, then today really is a good Friday. And if it's for the first time ever, it's the best good Friday ever. Because the injustice of the crucifixion has now become the salvation of your life. And you have certainty for eternity, safe in the arms of Jesus. And that's the best good Friday ever. We're going to sing about the power of the cross.